Hello, everyone. Welcome to the very first Putting Words to It podcast. I'm so excited to finally be able to get this out there. It's been a journey to get here, but let's go, y'all. For this first episode, I thought it was important that I just take a minute and introduce myself and share my story, um, share where I'm coming from and how good God has been to me. It's been a difficult episode for me to um, to write, to create, and even to speak, to share, um, because it's requiring me to be vulnerable and honest in some really uncomfortable ways. But please hang in there with me. Um, I'm going somewhere with this, I promise. I want to share my story because, well, I've got two reasons. One, I just hope and pray that Somehow, some way, my story would help someone else out there. Um, and then second, that Jesus would be known by me telling my story. Because without him, I have no idea where I'd be and what my life would look like. I share my story to say God is good. And he's not just good to me, y'all. The Bible tells us that he is no respecter of persons. And so what that means is is if he's good to me, he promises to be good to you. And anything that he'll do for me means he'll do for you. It's a promise. It's something we can hold on to. Um, so with that in mind, I have to be willing to be real, real and share my junk so that you can see just how far God has brought me and what he's brought me through. So then maybe you can see that there is hope, hope for the hopeless. And his name is Jesus. It's, it's that hope that anchors me. And it's that hope that propels me forward in my life. I hope that um, as I share and I open up that you'll be encouraged. Encouraged to let Jesus be your hope. Let Jesus show you that he can be your hope. That he can bring light into any situation. And that he can be an anchor in whatever storm you might be facing. Nothing is too big for him, and no one is too far gone from him. He is God, and he is trustworthy. That's been my experience, and that's what I want to share. So, when I say I want to share my story, I want to begin at the beginning. Um, I was born illegitimate. Today, that doesn't seem like um, it carries as big of a stigma as it did in the 70s. That'll tell you how old I am. But back in the day, back then, being a single mom was a shameful thing. Having a baby out of wedlock was seen as a type of punishment for having sex before marriage. Therefore, I was born into a shameful situation. I think some people saw me as her punishment, her burden to carry. But hear me, my mother never, ever, ever put that on me. My mama loved me, loves me, <laughs> cherishes me, tells me all the time that I am the biggest blessing that she's had in her life. I am um, valuable and important to my mother. She did the very best uh, that she could to make me feel loved and accepted. Um, she has been a great, great mother, and I honor her. I will forever 
love her and respect her for being my mama, for being courageous enough, even as a teenage unwed mother, courageous enough to make the choice to keep me and to raise me. Literally, I would not be here without her, but I would not be in this space and time without her either. So thank you, mama. Um, but being born illegitimate, I, I always felt other than. I always struggled with feelings of worthlessness. And being un, I always felt like I was unworthy of anyone's love. See, we as people, we put a high value on our ancestry. We, uh, we even have industries, we have companies that uh, are willing to dive into our ancestry so we can find out where we came from. Even the Bible, if you look at the Bible as a historical document, um, it documents people and cultures. Several times throughout the scripture, we're introduced to characters and stories based on who their people were. Heck, there's practically a whole book of the Bible written just about people and their bloodlines. We put great stock in knowing where we came from. It communicates our value. It helps us with our self-esteem and our identity. See, I didn't have that growing up. Growing up, I always felt like something was missing, um, like part of me was missing. I knew, well, I didn't know, but I felt like something was out there, but it was being held from me because I wasn't worthy of it, that I didn't deserve it for some reason, that something must really be wrong with me. I can't explain it, really. Thankfully, though, my mother comes from a huge family, so I had a lot of family. I had a lot of cousins who I grew up with, but even then, I saw that they came from two-parent homes. There was a mama and there was a daddy. I had no daddy. Uh, no daddy wanted me. That's how I felt. I would never be like my cousins. I would always be different. I would always be less than. So just to kind of put a little bit of perspective, even today... It bothers me. <laughs> uh, I'm 50 years old this month, and still, like, if I go to the doctor's, a new doctor's office, and I have to fill out all the new patient uh, paperwork, and I have to give, you know, my my medical history on my mother's side and my father's side, it still feels weird that I have nothing to write down on my father's side. It still stings a little bit. It still reminds me of the shame of not being wanted by my biological father. You know, I think it would have been one thing to have known him, even if he wasn't a part of my life. But he was M-I-A. Nowhere to be found. Never questioned about me. Never cared to look me up over the years. Um... You know, it's just, it's just a thing. It just really is a thing. It was just me and my mom uh, for a very long time until I was about six or seven, and she married. She married a man, um, and I was so excited to be able to call someone daddy. I can remember the day that they got married. I remember talking to my grandma and saying, I can finally call him daddy. Now, keep in mind, they'd been together for two years already, but I was not allowed to call him daddy because he was not uh he was not he was not my dad they weren't married and I wasn't allowed to give him that name but I remember when they got married feeling or thinking 
at the young age of six or seven um, that I finally had somebody that was going to claim me. I finally had somewhere that I was going to belong. I finally had a family, a biological family. I had more than enough family <laughs> on my mother's side, but there was going to be another uh, level of family that I was going to experience. I was very excited. Unfortunately, it didn't play out like that. Um, this man was very broken. He was, um, he came from an abusive alcoholic home and he was an alcoholic. I don't remember in the early years of my life, uh, the alcohol really playing a part, but definitely into my teenage years, I started to become more aware that alcohol ruled our family. Our family routine was um, Friday at four o'clock when he got off, he would start drinking and would drink until the wee hours of Sunday morning because Sunday morning, I mean, Sunday, all day Sunday was sober up day because he had to be back into the office or be back at work on Monday morning. Now, he would not drink all week. He was a great provider for our family, but the weekends were, well, we just never knew what to expect on the weekends. Even though he didn't drink during the week, there, still, there was no relationship. There was no connection. There was definitely disconnection and confusion even during the week. We just never really knew uh, where we stood, you know, but he was a good provider for our family, and I, I will forever be thankful for that. He put a roof over our head, um, but the lack of emotion and lack of care and just lack of connection, it only exasperated the feelings that I had of worthlessness because I felt like he could manage his addiction during the week manage it enough to work but when it came to time when he was going to be home with us then he required he, he required alcohol he re, re, he required something in order to get through the weekend so I took that on myself that that was my my burden to carry my problem there was something wrong you know something something wrong with us that he didn't love us enough or care enough for us to put the drink down on the weekend you know um so tack onto the feelings of worthlessness that I had experienced from birth, tack onto that the insecurities that come with living in a home with an alcoholic figure. For a child, insecurities are formed when their environment is not stable or predictable. I never knew where I stood with him, and I never knew what to expect. He could change his mind about me depending on how drunk he was in the moment. I never knew how he was going to uh, respond to a situation or respond to anything, actually. Anything could set him off, and I mean anything. I can't remember what got him uh, mad this one time, but he just went into a rage and threw a boiling pot of spaghetti sauce across the kitchen. I, I don't remember what brought that on. I just remember the volcano, you know, that erupted. And I remember the fact that my mom and I were left there to clean it up. Um, he would scream, he would holler, he would push, he would threaten. It was just a very volatile living environment. There were, But then there were drunken episodes where he would uh, be kind and he would be sweet and he would buy us things and he would confess his love and tell us how much we meant to him. 
it just was all so very, very confusing. And this is just a small sampling. I mean, just a small sampling of what went on in my home when I was growing up. I didn't have friends. I had a few friends, but the few friends that I did have had no idea what was going on. Um, our family did not know what was going on. We told no one because multiple reasons. We were embarrassed. Uh, we didn't want people involved. Now that I'm older and I've done research on alcohol, uh, adult children of alcoholics, I understand that this is normal. Like we protect the family. Why? I don't know, but you do. When there's, when there is dysfunction and alcoholism in your home, you protect the family and, and it is embarrassing and there's just multiple layers there. There was no stability, no anchor in my home. My mother and I were in survival mode all of the time. We were always on guard and always afraid. There was always fear. I grew up insecure about everything. And yes, of course, I took that into my marriage and I took that into parenthood. And it helped me form some pretty cruddy ways of looking at things. It altered my perceptions of people and their motives. It affected everything. But God does not change his mind about us. And he provides stability. And he can be our anchor if we let him. We can know him. And we can know his motives. He hides nothing from us. And this brings me such great, great, great comfort. We don't have to feel like we're in survival mode all the time. We can grow, we can thrive, we can be happy, we can be hopeful. He always provides a better way. At the age of 14, I started going to church with a friend, a little uh, Baptist church just a street over from where we lived. I went there and I was introduced to Jesus. And as I came to the understanding that I needed a Savior, I accepted the love that Jesus had for me, and he changed my life forever. This was the first time in my life that I felt unconditional love. I remember saying to my youth leader as she prayed with me that night that I can't believe someone could love me enough to die for me. And it was true. I had the hardest time believing it. But I knew that experiencing that kind of love changed something in me. I felt so much lighter. I felt so much freer. I felt like the weight of the world had been lifted off of my shoulders. I mean, this was 36 years ago, and I can still remember it like it was last week. The impact of experiencing the love of Jesus was transformative. It changed me. I wish that I could say that I stayed there, that I never strayed from that newfound relationship with Jesus, but unfortunately, that's not the case. Through high school and college, um, I was running the show, making bad decisions all along the way. Of course, I was attending church because I did have a love for God. I had a love for Jesus. I just didn't know how to be in relationship with him. But finally, 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 in my junior year of college, I realized I could not keep living the life I was living because my behavior and my actions were creating a divide between me and Jesus. I could no longer live that double life. I couldn't keep saying that I loved him, but living like I didn't. 
I remembered what it felt like when I first gave my life to Christ. I remember how sweet that was, how much peace and love that it brought to me to know that I was in right standing with him and that he was approving of me. I knew that he was not approving of the life that I was living. And I knew that if I didn't change, that I was running the risk of no longer feeling that love and that acceptance. I did not want that. I knew that everything in me did not want that. I did not want to be apart from him anymore. So one sunny afternoon, I went home from school, went home from class. I sat on the edge of my bed and I cried out. And I admitted that I knew that I was doing everything wrong. I truly asked him to forgive me. And I and I made Jesus the Lord of my life that day. Meaning, I committed to lay down the sin that I was living in and follow Jesus wherever he led me. I gave my life to Jesus to be used however he saw fit. Okay, guys, I'm going to pause here for just a little bit. On the next episode, I'll pick up where I left off, and really, I just want to get to the heart of how good God is and how good He's been to me. So be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any episodes.